If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet is of utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here is your host, Brian Bailey. Welcome, everyone. It's a beautiful, sunny day here in Memphis, Tennessee. I hope your week is going well. We're halfway through it. All right. Well, unless you're a dog trainer, then you never have a day off. Those of you who are wanting to have a career in dog training, (laughs) just so you know. Not in the spring or summer, right? Yeah, amen. Things get a little bit busier during the time period of the year. Okay, today we're going to talk about the title of today's show is Training Pains. Training Pains. Because there's a lot of them. Uh, it is such a confusing and complex issue when you think about training your dog. Uh, I was just saying earlier on Facebook Live that I Googled up on or hopped on Amazon's page and just looked up dog training. And when you look under all the different uh, training that you can do with your dog, everything from search and rescue to tracking to protection, what you name it. There are over 22,000 books, pamphlets, ebooks, you name it, pertaining to training. Holy cow. So if you get this dog and you're brand new at owning a dog and you say, wow, how do you stop this creature from pulling me? How do you get this thing to get off of me? I really don't want it on my furniture. And the darn thing tried to bite me whenever I just tried to move its food bowl over a little bit. What do you do? How do you handle that? Because everywhere you turn, you seem to run into an expert of some sort. It can be your dentist. It can be your doctor, your family. Uh, You have 20-something thousand books to pick from. I don't even know how many videos are on YouTube. Wow. Sorting through the complexity is so incredible. And it's now leading to dogs actually not Getting trained is causing a real problem because people just don't know what to do. Right. And and looking through those 22,000 books that you're looking at, good luck finding one that is just by random that's going to help you along the way, the way in which that you need. I mean, good God, 22,000 books, not a single one of them, they're going to be the same. And and I think that's the hardest part is uh, for most people to deal with is the fact that you're right. Try and find two books that are the same. I don't know if it was born from, I want to be different. I want to carve out a niche somewhere, be unique. So instead of saying it's the sky is blue, I'll just say it's a aqua color instead. I don't know if adding big words and adding a whole bunch of irrelevant research simply makes us sound smarter. Maybe a little bit different than the other fellow down the street. Well, it's like reinventing the wheel. You know, I mean, because you can always make a wheel better or fit a certain criteria for a certain off-terrain or on the road or for a bicycle, but it's still a wheel. And that's, I think, what a lot of people try to do is they try to reinvent the wheel rather than just finding the right uh, tread on the tire. Yeah, you know, and I may be old school, but... I'm a fan of Tony Robbins. I just am. And anyone out there, you probably already know who it is. He's a huge motivational speaker. He's an author of many books. Uh, and one of his quotes I absolutely love and I think pertains to this 
growing problem that we have is when he penned the phrase, complexity is the enemy of execution. Well said. And that's what I'm seeing happening now. Most dog owners are like deer caught in the headlights. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that we face is because the people that call us looking for help, they're having a hard time trusting anyone anymore because they've gotten so much conflicting advice that now we tell them what to do. Well, why should they trust us? You know, why, why now? Why should they trust what we're saying? Yeah, they've already looked at about 90 YouTube videos. They've called all the trainers in the local area. They've talked to their veterinarians. They've talked to their family. And I guarantee you, they got 90 different responses. They and, did, yeah. And it's killing everyone. It, it just really is. We, so this show is about sorting through that, trying to make something complex into something simple. Because again, I learned a long time ago, the more simple it is, the more likely it's going to get done and get done right. Simplicity is the ally of execution. It promotes execution. So let's make this thing simple, guys. If you, if you have any questions, make sure you write them into us. You can send them to Brian with a Y at TamingTheWild.com. Hook up with us on Facebook. We're on Facebook Live right now. If you have any questions, send those things in here. But let's get after this thing. Well, the first thing, so I'm going to pretend like we just got a dog. We have this brand new dog that just walked into our household. And I decide, and you will, trust me, <laughs> you, life has a way of making you do certain things. Uh, so you bring in this four-legged animal into your household and you think, I need some training. I don't like these behaviors, but I really want to make those good ones even better. The first thing we have to do before we hop on all those YouTube channels, all those Amazon books and all these blogs and everything else is simply decide, what's your goal? What do you, what do you really want to train your dog to do? And speaking of that, even before you even take the next step, decide what is it that you want versus what you need back and forth. I mean, I know people can confuse those, but for me, needs come first. In other words, I'm going to address my need before I do my want. And I know it's kind of flip-flop nowadays here in America. It's like most people really want to get that want and they don't want to have to do the need. But it, I guess using the word overly, need needs, needs to be done and needs need to be taken care of. Uh, so that being said, determine what your goals are, go after those needs, and decide what is it that you need your dog to do. Now, there are many types of training goals. There are many programs and many behaviors you can train a dog to do. Uh, I know this much. I would normally approach if my goal was to have a dog train off-leash, meaning I could take it to a dog park, and when I decide it's time to go, not the dog, I can call the dog back to me. We can now get in the car and go home. If I want that, then just from training fundamentals, on-leash has to be accomplished first. So there's on-leash training. We call that basic training. Everything is taught on the leash because the leash is a communication tool to the dog. Then there's off-leash, all advanced training. Then there's custom. You just kind of decide what you want. I want a little on-leash here. Uh, I don't want off-leash for there because, Brian, I don't imagine ever walking my dog down Times Square without a leash being on it. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
Uh, then there's protection training, guard dog training. There's training for law enforcement applications. There's sport. My, there's a lot of sport. There's dog agility, rally sport. There's CD, companion dog level in the AKC, companion dog excellent, utility dog. I mean, ring sport, you name it. It just goes on and on. Some people just want to use their dog as a tool to engage in a sport, kind of like if you're going to play golf, you need a golf club. I guess you do anyway. It's not a big fan of golf myself. <laughs> uh, there's search and rescue training. Actually, in golf, I think I used a hockey puck like Happy Gilmore. Um, but there's search and rescue training. There's detection training. You can train your dog to find explosives, to find narcotics. Uh, you can have your dogs, uh, certain dogs are trained to detect blood sugar levels, low blood sugar and diabetics. You name it. There's a lot of detection work. There's service dog training. We talked about that last week. Yes. What's the difference between a service dog and a therapy dog? But there is therapy dog training. And it's wonderful to be able to take your dog to a children's hospital, a veteran's hospital. Uh, it's a wonderful thing, guys. Uh, so I encourage you to push in that direction as well. And then sometimes there's just a trick. You just want to teach your dog how to do a trick. If you know this right off the bat, you've got it. Okay, Brian, I want to train my dog to walk on a leash, sit on a leash, lay down on the leash. Uh, I do want to train my dog to off-leash, not to jump on my guests when they come through the door. I do want to train my dog off-leash to come and call. Now, you need to decide which method will get you from point A to point B. And that's where a lot of debate comes in. Uh, but I'm going to go over them real quick. I'm just going to list them, and then we'll cover them in more detail later in the episode. Uh, but as far as methods go, at least the ones that are established – and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mention the ones that someone has come up with some weird name and weird concept because you're out in left field, you're in a stadium all by yourself. I'm not going to mention that. That's just going to confuse people even more. But there's typically an approach in which it is called nowadays force-free, right, Joshua? Right. Yeah, they, they relabel themselves often. And what it used to be? Purely positive. Purely positive. So we'll talk about that in a second. Then there's purely negative. Is that just all force, force on? Com compulsion training, <laughs> full aversion, whatever you, yeah. Okay. So Do it because I said so, that type of parent. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah, no no matter, right. The only reward is you escaping the compulsion. The punishment. Yep. Or the punishment. <laughs> yep. Okay, well, that's out there, guys, believe it or not. That is out there. Uh, then there's a balanced approach in which you, yes, I reward I give praise, I give treats, I show you, man, there's a benefit to doing this behavior. But should you decide you're not going to do the behavior, for example, not come to me when I'm ready to leave the dog park, well, now there's a cost. And I always use the average family. Now, I'm not, and I'm not saying everybody is like this, but I use the average family. You know, the dog does really well for the dad for the most part. They come inside when they need to and, and they'll sit and wait for their food or whatever. But for the mom, it's their, the dog's jumping all over them. I see you are a humanized version of the balanced spectrum because you are getting all the love. The mother is getting all the love and the affection from the dog and the dad has got all the respect. Now you two need to talk and figure it out and meet in the middle and be that balanced trainer and, and get, you know, love from the dog and respect from the dog. It, it can both be there. Oh, amen. In fact, that's why I penned in one of my first books. We all get the dog we deserve. Right. 
uh, we, we just do. They adjust to the input. Uh, and then there's a methodology that I just simply titled All Wrong. <laughs> I mean, there, there's nothing right about it. Uh, you are, yeah, you say punish the dog if it chews on your sofa, but you don't bother to mention how to punish it. Right. Well, what does punishment mean? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you don't bother to let them know that, hey, if you want the dog to connect the dots between the chewed chewing of the furniture and the punishment, you have to apply it almost instantly, definitely within a couple of seconds. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there's a, in fact, I think that methodology is starting to become the reigning champion. It is because, uh, again, we've, we've talked about this in other episodes. Just go listen to them. Just because you love a dog, just because you love a dog does not qualify you to train a dog, especially at a professional level. It does not. Uh, just because you watch YouTube videos and you read a ton of books, that's wonderful. You now have some conceptual knowledge. But professional dog training requires experiential knowledge. And I kind of reminded that old uh, story of the young boy from India who went to universities here in America. And when he traveled back home to get to his small village, he had to cross a two-mile-wide raging river. And the man that he paid to take him across the river in the boat listened to him as he just chatted away over and over again, bragging about all the universities that he attended, all the diplomas he received, how smart he was. But about three-quarters of the way across the river, a storm arrived, and the seas uh, and the waves in the river started to pick up. And there's that young college student just blah, 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 just bragging and bragging and bragging, telling the whole world how great he was to the, to the ferryman. And finally, the ferryman turns to him and asks, and all that schooling that you attended in America, did you happen to learn how to swim? And the kid says, no, why? He goes, well, that's really a shame because this boat is sinking. So again, guys, just a little story there and a little advice. If you're going to handle an animal, you're going to shape its behavior. Even like Franz de Waal says, the author of, are we smart enough to understand how animals, are we smart enough to know how smart animals are? Even he believes that you have to have a minimum over 2,000 hours, minimum, before you even embark on it. So again, we're seeing a little bit of a all wrong. We have people who just really should not be doing this yet. I'm not saying that you, you don't have some talent, some budding talent, budding knowledge, just you shouldn't be involved yet. Um, well, it's, I mean, it's the I've owned a dog before phenomenon, you know, because you owned one before, then you know how it all works, right? And I always use the example, you've, how many toilets have you owned, but you call a plumber when things go wrong, right? Yes, <clears throat> indeed. In fact, uh, you know, with a lot of these trainers, the issue is, uh, we, we call that, what you just mentioned there, the old buster syndrome. Right, right. Old Buster was a good old dog, and Old Buster responded this training, and Buster responded to that training. But then I ask him, well, do you have kids? <laughs> do you, if you have more than one of them, see how well they respond to the exact same technique, the exact same message that you're trying to apply. It's different. Um, but there's so much nonconformity. There, there really is, and I think part of that, the blame for it, is just no regulation. 
It's uh, anyone can attend a gunfight. All you have to do is you bring a gun. It doesn't matter who, how well you can shoot. Doesn't even know if you if you only have to care which end of the gun actually fires the bullet. You can attend the gunfight, and we just see this more and more. And we talk about it again. I keep remembering all these previous episodes. We do talk about it a lot because this is a seventy seventy billion dollar a year industry, and when you have that, everyone wants a piece of that pie. Everyone. And so, therefore, all I have to do is print some business cards, make a couple of brochures, maybe design a real slick website, and you're off and running. And there's a lot of ignorance. I write about that in my first book, Embracing the Wild and Your Dog, about how I've had clients ranging from rock stars, true rock stars, to professional athletes, to runners up for the Nobel Prize, to tenured professors that have been doing their studies and their teaching for over 30 years. They didn't know squat about a dog. They knew a whole lot about a lot of other things, but they didn't know squat about a dog. And therefore, these people who masquerade as a professional are out there pulling the wool over people. And we're just taking it hook, line, and sinker. The more pretty it looks, the more slick it looks, the more you can spit out a couple of big words. Because, hey, remember, I'm in academia too. Wow, I'm ready to roll. And again, it's causing problems because uh, dogs aren't trained. A lot of them end up in shelters. A lot of them end up. Sometimes it's causing more than problems. Sometimes it's causing injuries and fatalities when the dogs have to be euthanized. And I'm no big government type of person, but there there really ought to be regulations. But then you hit another brick brick wall right there. Who's the one that decides the regulations? Yeah, and that's the same problem that the uh, service dog right. industry, the American Disability Act, is, is going through right now. Who's going to be that governing body? Who's the one who gets handed the baton and says, you have all the power. You get to decide what's a service dog, what isn't, what kind of training you should be applied, uh, what are the standards. That's difficult. Sure. It's really difficult uh, to get that thing done. Oh. Uh, this is one of those situations mm-hmm. in which – There was no vision. There was no looking into the future. This train started rolling. And it started rolling really hard in this country about 20 years ago at a really high rate of speed. And now it's running us over. It is flat running America over. But when we come back, guys, we're going to take a short break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about this nonconformity. And then we're going to hop right into, well, what do we do about it? Again, anytime we offer up a problem on the show, We definitely want to offer up a solution, and we'll talk about that and how we're going to build on this particular episode on future episodes. So come on back and join us here in just a couple of minutes as we hop into that. In the meantime, sit, stay. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. 
Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a broad look at everything to do with the world of sports? If so, tune in to the Mike Abadir Show. It's a unique perspective to the connections between sports and business. Host Mike Abadir has negotiated numerous deals in the NFL. Along with co-host Gino Bacola, Mike will bring his expertise, discussion, and some terrific guests to the airwaves. Listen live for the Mike Abadir Show every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. After years of waiting, there's a radio show for shotgunning enthusiasts worldwide. Tune into Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation for the very best in wing and clay shooting talk. Join Marty and his guests as they bring you hunting and shooting information that you can use. So whether you're a beginner or a seasoned pro, this show can be your go-to source for wing and clay shooting information. Listen live every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific for Marty Fisher's Wing and Clay Nation on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. We're, we've been talking about training pains, and we're focusing on the pain of complexity. Uh, it seems like more links that you add into the chain, the more the chain has the opportunity to become snagged, uh, twisted, to break. Keep it simple, stupid rule. And that's what we need to start doing with dog training. Why? Because then hopefully we will have more dogs trained. And more dogs trained means that we don't have the issues we talked about in the previous show with people being bitten out in the public. We don't have all these higher insurance rates or worse yet, no insurance. And we don't have dogs being kicked out of Walmart, Target, Publix, you name it. Uh, It just, guys, if we just get our act together, the government will back off. But like the old saying goes, if you cannot govern yourself, we will govern for you. And that is what's happening. America is slowly but truly, at least from the government level, at least from the levels that are held liable, that are responsible, they're waking up. The giant, the beast is waking. Well, let's not overlook the reason of the need of all this training for just the well-being, happy, healthy dog. Yeah. And again, I tell everyone when you own a dog, at least the last time I looked, it was supposed to lower my blood pressure, Uh, which means in turn, I should be lowering the blood pressure of the dog as well. And a behaved dog tends to have a better life. They go places. There's no denying that. There's absolutely no. No, well, obedience does save lives. It saves the lives of humans. It saves the lives of dogs. Obedience is required. That's what nature says. Obedience is required. And the last time I looked, I know you may have gotten hit with a bunch of snowstorms wherever you are this year and a bunch of bad weather, but nature's not screwed up. Mankind is, but nature is not. So therefore, just take a little cue from her. Okay, so uh, what's this issue about nonconformity? Because that's one of the problems. If you go and you look up research for training, no doubt, just I, I, I challenge everyone at, at the end of the show, 
hop on your computer, pull up about five YouTube videos on the same thing, meaning say heal or walk with my dog. Pull up five books, excerpts, blogs, you name it. Pull these up and see how closely they mirror one another. Uh, I challenge you to find two that, that actually will. Uh, so that's the problem. We have so much nonconformity. And then we have another issue. Uh, a lot of times uh, due to this nonconformity, it erases challenges, arguments. We get trainers actually fighting amongst one another. Oh, it happens all the time. <laughs> they can be really nasty to each other. <laughs> we, we're dog trainers here, and we all say, we all agree that dog trainers are some of the worst people. Oh, my God. It's, it's, uh, I hate to say it, but again, <laughs> this, this show is about no bullshit. I said it in the very beginning. We say it in the, in, when the show comes on. It's the absolute truth. And it just makes me mad because I take incredible pride in what we do, our profession. We are professionals. We're supposed to be professionals. We do provide an incredible service. Why can't we just act like it? My gosh, you'll see someone throw a question out on Facebook. Hey guys, I'm having a hard time getting my dog to quit pulling me. And next thing you know, you'll have a couple of trainers chime in. Well, here's what you need to do. You will do it my way or the highway. And the ex trainer will do the same thing. And then the next thing you know, those two trainers have now engaged in a fight. Forget about the girl. Forget about her pulling her dog pulling her. Oh no, you're you're left off somewhere. Now it's, we're going to have this battle. And they do. They go back and forth and everyone wages in and they add their two cents and they add this and that. And guys, if you're listening to this and you're a professional trainer, stop it. Again, if you can't be nice, stay home. Be a professional. You can add your opinion. You can add your recommendation. And that allows people to make a choice. But don't get upset if they don't take your recommendation. Leave the ego out of it. Yeah. Good Amen. Gosh. Leave it out. So again, this, this causes people to become very uh, confused. And uh, as Kira mentioned, I don't even know who to trust because man, I simply asked this question and these people vehemently, I mean, they went after one another. Mm -hmm. It was like watching a dog fight. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. Uh, so again, there's a lot of mistrust for dog trainers. Uh, what's another thing that draws mistrust? The drastic difference in prices. Um, there are many dog trainers who, really, I'll be honest with you, they've created a, a little bit of a part-time job and they charge for services like that. And then there are real pros. People invested in a tremendous amount of time. If you picked one of these colleges who took their life experience, their amount of time that they put forth in their, their expertise and their skill, they'd have like four degrees. They're incredible behaviors. They're scientists. They're really, really good at what they do. So, of course, they charge more. And now people go, well, what the heck here? This guy wants to charge me $30 an hour, but the other lady over here wants to charge me $200 an hour. What gives? Well, I can speak from experience here. When I was trying to start up and I and trying to do my own thing, I did the whole print the business cards and the website and all of that. And I, I had a fear of, you know, pricing myself out of business. And then I also not charging enough to where people didn't take me seriously because I knew that quality shows in your prices and I knew that I had quality product, but I was afraid to charge too much. And then people go, well, who the heck are you? Get out of here. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you see that with any business uh, starting out because every business has that fear. Yeah. Well, I think another thing you have to consider is that you have some trainers that are operating illegally out of their homes. So they are able to undercut the other trainers like us who are operating legally. We are we have a license to be here in this building, but the others don't. You know, they take board and trains into their home and they keep them overnight. And they're just able to charge a lot less than we are when we pay our taxes, have insurance and all these other expenses that they don't have. Yeah. Yeah, all this factors in. Uh, and then finally, everyone's an expert. And we talked about that earlier. Your dentist can give you advice. Anyone can give advice. And when all this just comes in, the, the flow of information is so tremendous. It's hard to shove it in a funnel and get it all the way down to exactly what you need. So because of that, all of this leads to consumer confusion. And when the consumer mind is confused, it says, no, no, that's an old business adage. If the consumer mind is confused, it will say no. So the problem is now you just said no to training. I'm not going to train. I'm going to maybe haphazardly just give it a good old go myself here. Leads to no training. And then when you have no training, it leads to bad behaviors because dogs are dogs. They're not humans. They don't have our moral code. They don't understand our system of engaging other human beings. They're dogs. They're canis lupus familiaris, wolf gray, domesticated. They're not a human. They've never been in our world. They're never going to be in our world, at least not in the lifetime of anyone listening to the show. So therefore, mechanism, instinct, is the default mechanism. Instinct is the default. They will fall back on instinct to solve any problems that they have, to adjust, to flexibly deal in which the circumstances and the environment in which they find themselves. They will choose dog ways to handle that. And those aren't always going to mirror with what you wish them to do. It's not always going to work for you in your life. So therefore, no training will will eventually equal bad training and bad behavior. And when that happens, we develop this unsustainable and unsafe dog to human relationship. And that's proven by the euthanasia of approximately 700,000 dogs in the U.S. alone for behavioral reasons. Mm. 700,000 and 5 million people per year are attacked by dogs. That's what happens when you don't train a dog, when you just let it run amok among humans. Back to the, there should be regulations, but who does it? Yeah. Amen. What methods do we use? So what are the difference in the training methods? What are they? I think we need to clear that up. First of all, again, we talked about there's all positive or now known as force free. The, that is a method in which no force, no correction, no consequence, no cost, I could keep that up all day long, is supposed to be applied to modifying the dog's behavior. Intentionally. 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 Here's the issue with that. Okay, you just got to take that for what that is. Um, that has its choice. Uh, I've used it. When I train dog tricks, 
We used it with Captain when we wanted him to roll over or jump up in your arms. Amen. Yeah. And we knew that. We knew going into it that we were never going to force him to roll over. We didn't need him to do that. Yes, we did not need him. And, and even though I wanted to show off on those different TV shows that I was on and you know news shows and everything, uh, I ran the risk that if I told him, give me a hug, a behavior in which I taught him to jump up into my arms, I thought was way cool. And every, so did everyone else. I knew I was running the risk that he may not do it. And sure enough, there was on two major networks <laughs> across the country in which he chose right at that moment, not before the show came on, not in the green room, not afterward, but right then, roll them, action live. He didn't do it. <laughs> not today. <laughs> yeah. So again, if you use a force-free type training, uh, you've got to understand you are giving the dog the ability to decide what it will do and what it won't do. And it will simply base that upon what is the benefit at that moment. Yeah, you call me. Yeah, I, that treat does look pretty good. I'll go ahead and take that now. But the next time you call me, ah, the squirrel looks more tempting than the darn treat. So now maybe I don't because the benefit is going out to squirrel. So that uh, just briefly is the force free all positive. Uh, in the next episodes that we have coming up next Wednesday, you'll want to tune in. We're going to really get down to the nitty gritty on all of these because that episode is going to be on training fundamentals. So we'll get a whole lot deeper. Then, of course, there's that all negative or that complete aversive. Hey, guys, I'm not even going to talk about that. That's just don't do that and definitely don't pay anyone to do that to your dog. There's, I cannot think of anything anything that I want to train a dog to do or a human in which you only carry the stick and no carrot. Right? No. no way. Well, you know, back to the all positive, at least they're, they're lying to you as far as what your outcome is going to be. The, the all negative is, or the all aversive, the compulsion training, they're not lying to you, but that you, I would much rather be lied to and not get the results than somebody use that type of methods on my dog long-term, you know, course, I mean, yeah, I, no, 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 all negative is, is abuse. Let's just put the word out there. Yeah. You know, but then there's a balanced approach. And I think that is the one that, that does ring true to most people. It's a reasonable sense. Uh, it's way parenting used to be. Should be. <laughs> parenting should be. Uh, there should be a carrot. There should be a stick. It keeps things balanced. It's the way the Mother Earth works. It's the way gravity works. It's the way a lot of things works. It's the way nature works. I tell people dogs have, they have teeth. They have claws. They don't use all positive or force-free with one another, and they certainly don't use it with humans. So why in the world would we want to own a dog in which we need reliability? And that's the key word. When we talk about a balanced approach, that means you need, not want, you may want it, but you need it, the dog to respond to any command that you give, respond to it instantly and consistently. It is a need. They must do it. It's not up to them to decide. So if that's your goal, you want that dog again, I use that dog park to come to you when you call it because you're ready to leave, you have to leave, you have somewhere to be, then by golly, you need to definitely use something more of a balanced approach because now, hey, yeah, there's a wonderful treat when you get here, just so you know, dog. I'm going to give you the biggest hug in the world. I'm going to give you, um, teach the dog the old high five trick or whatever you want to do. Hey, all that is great, but 
you have to do it. Uh, so those are basically the three real methods that you hear out there. You may hear them worded just a little bit differently, but for the most part, those are the methods. Uh, so now that you know the methods to a degree, what are some common misperceptions that we have regarding, regardless of the methods? I don't care which method you pick. There are many, many common misperceptions regarding training. One of those has to do with tools. Tools. We get this all the time. Do you use a leash on my dog? Uh, yeah, it's kind of required by the law. <laughs> oh, do you put a collar around its neck? Yes. Why? The neck on a dog is like a thigh muscle. If you didn't have arms and you had to carry your offspring for 100 miles and yank down an animal the size of a car, imagine how strong the muscles would be in that neck. Uh, so yeah, we do put a collar around the dog and we put it around snug enough so that the dog can't back out of it. Uh, but aren't you going to be choking my dog? So there's a lot of misperceptions about tools, everything from prong collars to remote training collars to halties to gentle leaders to no pull harnesses. Do your education, do your own research on tools. And again, we'll cover those to a great degree in an upcoming episode. And then the, what's the one that you get the most care that the misperception uh, that, that you get the most often? Do you use shock collars? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a whole, oh, no, I have a blog on that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a blog on that. Go read it. It's called titled Shock Callers, The Horror of It All. Again, we'll cover that next week. But one of the biggest ones that I see or hear is the concern that training will change their dog's personality. Now, granted, you use all negative. I guarantee it will. If I'm a dog, I'm going to not do anything. I'm going to say uncle <laughs> to white flag will be flying all the time, of course. But if you use any of the other methods, uh, balanced or even an all positive, training is not going to change your dog's personality. We have to tell that to people all the time. You send a tornado in, you get a tornado back. You send a dominant <laughs> dog in, you get a dominant dog back. Uh, the difference is we can control them. I can put the tornado in a jar when I need to. That's what you get. So good training doesn't change the personality. It doesn't change the genetic makeup of the animal. It's temperament. It doesn't do it. And then people think that owners can't do it. Okay, let me give you one example. C&I. All right, you're not there. You are not there when the dog was trained. And look how well those dogs respond to those humans. So there you go. That was done. Uh, the training won't last. Okay, let me use another example. C&I. Okay, so there you go. That, it lasts for many, many, many years. It won't apply to home. C&I. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm just going to beat that thing to death because it does. It answers all the questions. Yes, it will apply at home. The issue is, is that there are things that you allow at home. There are things that sometimes a dog learned at home that the dog responds to that stimulus differently. No it would be no different than if you went to a foreign country and they said, here, just so you know, American, when the light turns red, we go. You would have a different response, no doubt, when you went to that country versus when you came home. You would make that adjustment because the signal would now evoke a different response from you. It does happen. But for the most part, hey, knowledge is good. You just work your way through it. And then people believe that once a dog is trained, and Joshua, you talked about that earlier, that the dog will respond to everyone the exact same way. No, they won't. Again, I ask people, if you have children, 
look in that direction because dogs are living, breathing animals. And like all living, breathing animals, they will simply adjust their response, their behavior to the input. So again, it's why a lot of husbands have walked in the door and said, down, dog lay down. But the wife goes, oh my God, I'm the one that brushed the darn thing. I took it for a walk. I'm the one that's been feeding the dog. I'm the one that gave it treats. I'm the one that gives it belly rubs. But the darn dog won't do anything for me. I tell it down, it gives me nothing. But you walk in the door, it does. Again, guys, dogs will respond differently to different humans. They will listen to some and ignore others. Okay, guys, we're going to take a short break here. and we get back, we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to tell you which methodology is best, which program would probably be best for your dog. And we're going to kind of cover a few things about how to pick out that trainer or that training program so you'll know. We're going to cover those when we get back. So we'll see you in just a couple of minutes. Till then, sit, stay. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Taming the Wild and Your Dog. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You can also send an email if you prefer to brian at tamingthewild.com. Now back to the show. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Brian Bailey. I'm your host here, and I have my in the studio with me. I have Kira, and I, who's my wife, and I have Joshua, a professional dog trainer, and our lead trainer here at Tame the Wild. So he has a lot of responsibility. Um, we've been talking about training methods and all the confusion surrounding training. 
I'm hoping we're clearing some of this up. Let's go ahead and take that last step and see if we can get as clear as possible so we'll be ready now for the next episode, which we'll have next week. But which methodology, again, we went over them, all positive, all negative, all negative meaning all bad. No, don't do that one. So let's don't even add that. Either an all positive approach in which there's a belief in that you never use intentional force or you don't believe in correcting the dog. And then there's a balanced approach where you go, yeah, I, I do believe in giving you a lot of treats and rewards, but every now and then you have to do what I tell you to do, period. And so therefore, there could be a consequence for an inappropriate action. Um, well, which one you should use really, again, ultimately depends upon your training goal. If again, you're, you're teaching a trick, go all positive, baby. Hey man, who cares? I mean, it's just a trick. It's just fun. Uh, but if you need your dog to do something, you want to have more freedom with it. You want to know that your dog will come when called. You want to know your dog will not pull you under any conditions, so on and so forth. You're going to have to use a balanced approach. I'm just going to tell you that right now. I've been doing this for four decades. You will have to use a balanced approach. And then after that, once you decide, okay, I've got my goals. I'm going to teach my dog obedience. I'm going to use that balanced approach. Or do I go from there? Well, now a lot of people decide, Hey, is it private lessons that I want to do with a trainer? Maybe work one-on-one and kind of learn a few techniques, a little bit of knowledge from them, and then then go home and practice what I learned? That works for a lot of people. It really does. And then some say, hey, Brian, I've got that. I, I would love to do that. But here's the issue. I have carpool at 2 o'clock. <laughs> I have the Women's Bridge Club meeting at, at 5 p.m. I have dinner somewhere to make in between all of that four loads of laundry, so on and so forth. How about if you train the dog and then I'll just take over from there. So board and train programs are on the rise. Uh, a lot of people are liking to do that simply because we're busy. We're just, our most popular program by but, far. Yeah, by and, far. We, and we love it because we have more control in that. We, we have more control in the, in the outcome. I think they're more successful. Absolutely. Yeah. But no matter what you do, make sure that you understand that To train a dog, you have to tease out of it. You have to find out what captures that particular dog's attention. Then what motivates it? Why would I learn that? What is this sit thing? First time you say sit to me, you might as well be saying scuba knock. What the heck is that? And why should I put my butt on the ground? Think about attention. What draws your dog's attention? Then what motivates it? And then take into account its cognition, meaning, no, not is it a smart dog or dumb dog. What age is it? The, the brain can only learn so much at every given developmental stage. Again, why we don't shove calculus down third graders' throats. We have to account for development. And then we can take in all sorts of breed specifics and things that sort. Case in point, our cattle dog is wicked smart. Our Siberian Husky? Not so much. Not so much. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, but again, we're, we're working with him. He, he's growing and we're working a little bit. So that means now, now you decided all of that and you did decide, okay, now I want to do a board train. I want to do private lessons. I want to do a little bit of both. Yes, I talked to a trainer. They really understand about attention, motivation, and cognition. Well, how do you even pick a trainer? Well, number one, do research on their qualifications. Make sure they're qualified to train your dog. And if you don't know anything about dog training, you may not know that answer. You may not. In other words, you ask me, what would make a great nuclear physicist? Uh, lots of education. 
I really don't know. Uh, Maybe some sort of understanding about atoms or whatever. Uh, Again, so you may not know. Don't be fooled by a long list. I would have to take that one further and say, as far as qualifications goes, it's more so experience because qualifications are scary. You know, I mean, you can go to any old Joe Schmo trainer and they'll give you a, you know, two, three week course. And then they're going to give you a qualification that says you're a master trainer and all this crap. And then now you get to go to the public and say, look, look at my qualification. I'm going to train your dog now. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the PhD in accounting, you know, it might be able to work out an economic solution for your program or budget right. for the most part, not going to lend a whole lot to uh, the training. And that's what we talked about earlier, that conceptual knowledge versus experiential knowledge. So when you look at that experiential, there should be some sort of reputation behind that trainer. Look at that. Now don't take reviews completely. I think you have to look for continuity. Uh, Everyone can have a bad experience with anything uh, because they would, they just would. These are the people that you can't cook a good enough meal for. You can't park their car good enough. You can't serve them fast enough or give them the best price. We all know who those are. So don't take the occasional lower reviews. Look for continuity. Look for it all the way. How many years, how many months? Because again, you got 200 people saying, awesome trainer. You got one saying, oh, he abused my dog. I call them professional victims. Yeah. Take that for what that is. We all know you're, why are you like that? And everyone else had the other experience. Uh, Also look for consistency in the trainer's methodology. Many times you'll have people, a lot of different businesses, a lot of different trades and skill sets will adjust to public opinion. They flow with the breeze. As the breeze comes in, they sway this way. As it goes out, they sway that way. Uh, No, if you are truly skilled, then that means whatever you're doing, whether it's right or wrong, you've got success with. So why would you go away from it? Why would you not? If it ain't broke, don't go breaking it. So therefore, when it comes to something like that, I'd rather a trainer be vaguely correct and positively wrong. Because if you've been getting it done with being vaguely correct, and by golly, that works for me. You want to make sure that they believe in what they do. They've drawn the line and said, this is what I do. I don't know if all of you agree with it, but tell you what, it has worked for me because you can take a look at my reviews, look at my reputation, so on and so forth. So guys, definitely take that into account. I remember my years ago, back in the 1980s, I was involved heavily in Schutzen. And that's a uh, German-based, uh, has a lot of history behind it, training in which you train the dog to track, to do bite work, and to do obedience. And our club would train a certain methodology, certain techniques, so on and so forth, until the next German came over and spent three days with us and told us, oh, no, that's not good. You have to do it this way. And then we changed everything. And then all of a sudden, a couple of months go by, we invite another one to come over, and now we changed it. And at the end of a year, I quit. Because I couldn't handle all of that change. It wasn't good. Find something that works, stick Stick to it. it. Well, you know, when you and I were coming up with our business model years and years ago, and we decided to write our pledge, we have that in our pledge that we will not be swayed by public opinion or the latest training fad. So that's really important to us that we draw a line in the sand. We believe in what we believe in, and we're going to practice it every single day because it works for us. We get success. And I think that's the difference between growth and 
swaying to public opinion. You know, there's nothing wrong with growth. I mean, we just made a change in our own training. Oh, yeah, but, in our but programs. In absolutely. our programs, we make changes because we go, oh, we tried this out for a bit and this is working better. This is actually more productive. And, and you know, we, we realize that a change is, is needed here. But nobody came to us and said, you know, oh, I don't like the way you do this. And, oh, well, maybe we ought to change it. Yeah, you know, shake, uh, a snake can shed its skin, but still snake. Yep. Uh, and again, so I think everyone gets that. Then you want to find out, can the trainer teach? Now, I've had people and have certainly met people that could teach a dog to stand on their head in about five minutes, but they could no more convey that to someone else and teach someone else how to do that to save their lives. Part of being in training, and if you're going to learn from a trainer, they have to be able to teach. And then can they handle your dog? Okay, you walk up, your dog is pulling, lunging, maybe your dog even growls. And they will say, well, uh, I'm going to stand outside your house and tell you what to do through the window or I'll send you a text. <laughs> outside the gate. Yep, yeah, that's a good time to walk away. Uh, if they can't handle your dog, then you're certainly not going to learn very much from them. And then can they handle you? I mean, you have to be able, that's part of it. I, it's part of the equation. You have to be able to handle the owner, meaning uh, I've had some owners uh, in the past, we all have if, you're, if you've been doing training for a long time, in which they cringe. Oh, no, are we putting that on my dog? Why are we doing that? You have to be able to handle it. You have to be able to talk to them and say, Here, here's why, and give them a reason that rings true with them. And then immediately demonstrate, hey, see, and have them learn through their own eyes how they their own self-discovery. Uh, cost. Hey, don't always factor in cost. I know we all have budgets, but know this. Good trainers know what they're worth. They know what they're worth. I charge more than any other trainer probably within 10 states of me. I know what I'm worth. Again, I'm, I don't want to sound arrogant. I've done many, many decades of doing this. So therefore, I charge what I think I'm worth, and history's proven it. So therefore, don't always go for the guy who only charges $30 an hour. Sometimes the one that's $150, $200, that's the one that you're going to get the most results with. Uh, do they believe a dog is a dog? <laughs> that's really important. I, I, I hate to bring Sounds that up. Sounds silly, but gosh, it is really important. Yes. I have met many people who said, hey, the previous trainer I went to said to treat this like your child. I go, in what aspect, uh, in what respect? And it's amazing what you will hear. No, it's, it's a dog. It, it's okay to put sunglasses on it every now and then, make it look like Elvis and put a bandana, you name it. I get all that, done all that myself. That's part of having the fun. Um, but when it comes to training, when I need my dog to learn behaviors that will make it compatible with not just my lifestyle, but that of everyone that my dog will encounter, then that means that I, I think of it like a dog. I just do. I have to understand that it doesn't have language. It's not capable of counterfactual conditioning. It can't pretend. It can't ask what if. It does not have theory of mind like we have. It's not going to presume intentionality. It operates off of signals. It has a horizontal body, not a vertical body. It doesn't have arms and fingers, it has teeth. It learns with its eyes before it learns with its ears. These are important things to know. You kind of have to know it and only know it because it's a dog and it's not a human. 
Uh, so again, a lot of times you'll hear me draw similarities between the two, but then I will immediately, when I need to, separate them. Because you have to. So make sure they know all of that. All right, guys, I hope all of this helped you today. I hope we covered the, the methodologies. I, we went over how to pick out a trainer, what to look for, what not to look for. We talked about, uh, briefly talked on making sure that they are able to draw attention, motivation, cognition, so on and so forth. Well, next week, we are going to go over the fundamentals of all training. There are do's and don'ts, no matter which methodology you use, but we're going to select every methodology and we're going to cover the do's and don'ts because there are some things I don't care what you believe in, how you apply it. If you apply it wrong, you're going backwards in a real hurry. And like Kira said, it doesn't just lead to a misbehaved dog. It could be someone being bitten or it could be the death of your dog. So tune in next week, guys. We'll see you next Wednesday. Enjoyed having you. If you have any questions, Send them on in. Brian with the Y at TameTheWild.com. Check you out next week. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.